This is the Global Broadcasting Service, serving remote outposts since 1928. Little orange bird, little orange bird, in the sunshine tree. Little orange bird, won't you think of something sunny just for me? Don't tell him, Carlos, don't be cheeky. And now... A musical interlude. W, Hello, everybody, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 233 for the week of July 31st, 2011. With the 40th anniversary of Walt Disney World's opening taking place on October 1st, over the next few months, we're going to explore some of the Magic Kingdom's opening day attractions. We'll look at their concepts, history, development, and changes over the years. And this week, we'll begin this new series with one of Adventureland's three original attractions, the Swiss Family Treehouse. Simple in concept, but rich in story, we'll discuss its origins and help point out some of its wonderful details and even a few secrets as well. I'll have a few announcements before playing some of your voicemails at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. With Walt Disney World's 40th anniversary on the horizon, and as part of an ongoing tribute to the parks, I thought it would be fun to look back at and closely examine the attractions that were part of the Magic Kingdom's opening day on October 1st, 1971. Over time, we'll visit the shows and attractions that were present on that day, examine their history, take a real close look at them, their changes, if any, over time, and what the future may hold in store. Joining me for our very first look at just one of these attractions is longtime friend, frequent show guest, and contributor to Celebrations Magazine. He is Ryan Wilson from the Main Street Gazette over at MainStreetGazette.com. Ryan, welcome back, buddy. It's always a pleasure. Uh, This is somewhat of a departure from our, our continuing sort of Epcot retrospective series that we've been doing. Like I said, we were running down on the options there, so we had to find someplace <laughs> new to go. You know, we've looked at, like I said, we've looked at sort of the Epcot Center retrospective. We looked at the pavilions. We've been looking at Walt Disney World through the years by sort of taking a specific year and looking at an overall snapshot. But, uh, you know, as you and I and many Disney fans and I'm sure Walt Disney World itself is preparing for the 40th on o- October 1st, and, of course, our associated 40-hour live broadcast from the parks. What was I thinking? <laughs> um, I thought it would be fun to look at some attractions that were there on opening day. And for some reason, Ryan, the first one that came to mind was the Swiss Family Treehouse. Yeah, it was one of those iconic things from the park. It hasn't, you know, it's been there for 40 years. It hasn't changed a whole lot. And it, 
really, once you got to the hub in the park, it was one of the first things you could see off into Adventureland. Yeah, and you know, as we start talking about a lot of these other attractions, we're going to be able to see how they have changed o over time. But ironically, or maybe subconsciously and purposefully, the treehouse, the one that I chose first, is the treehouse, which has remained pretty much the same as it was like 40 years ago. Yeah, we gave ourselves a softball on the first <laughs> one here. <laughs> well, I, I think it's a fun one to look at, too, because I think for a lot of people, um, it's, it's somewhat overlooked. And I think sometimes it's... Um, because of the type of attraction it is, uh, because of, the, of some accessibility issues, it's not necessarily for anybody. Certainly not the attraction I would recommend waiting to do at the end of the day when your feet are really tired and you don't want to climb a couple hundred steps up and down. <laughs> no, definitely not. And like you said, there are some accessibility issues. Uh, but it's one of those attractions that it's just classic Disney, you know, from, from its roots in the film to, to really what it, how it's put together. It's just great. Yeah, and so this is one of only three attractions that were operational on the Magic Kingdom's opening day in Adventureland. The other two being? We had the Jungle Cruise and, oh. Oh, come I, on. If you say I the, know, I know. <laughs> oh, say, Tropical Serenade. If you say the Magic Carpets of Aladdin, I will I will beat you <laughs> You know, You know me better than that. <laughs> I drew a blank all of a sudden. No, Tropical Serenade. Yeah, and, you know, this is one of those attractions, as simple as it is, that, like a lot of the other ones, has ties to another Disney property. It's sort of that synergy going on with the movies. Obviously, the movie that was written in 1960 was an adaptation of a 1912 novel by Johann Davis Weiss. Uh, and it was one of those things that was sort of born out of his relationship with his, with his family. You know, he and his kids always imagined what it would be like. I think we all do. Uh, as if you were sort of stranded on an island and they came up with all kinds of adventures. And he also wanted to create a book that was going to teach his sons about family values and, and being a good husband and relying on nature and a lot of that self-reliance, obviously uh, adapting some things from uh, Robinson Crusoe and some of those castaway concepts as well. But he took his sort of real life and his real family and translated uh, that for the most part, into what became the book. And you hear that time and again with some of these you know, early Disney projects. You know, Peter Pan, you had uh, J.M. Barry who, who played with those boys and watched their adventures. And you, know, you had Weiss who, yeah, took the Robinson Crusoe story. And then in 1812, after watching his kids develop treehouses. And I, I'm sorry, who wouldn't want this treehouse in their backyard? <laughs> and, and made this great story out of it. Yeah, and it's funny because it's one of those questions like we throw out on Twitter and Facebook. And, you know, if you could have a, a Disney attraction in your backyard, what would it be? And people say, oh, I want Soar and I want Expedition Everest. But every now and then you'll get someone's like, yeah, I want the Swiss Family Treehouse because that's, you know, so the iconic idealized treehouse that we as kids would love to have. And there's such great details that we're going to go through uh, as we talk about the attraction that it would be something somewhat practical and um, uh, that you really almost could fit in your backyard. Yeah, you know, everyone has treehouses in the backyard, and this is just, you know, Disney-fying that, you know, making it bigger. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, so, so again, Disney in 1960 creates this live-action film. It stars Jonathan Mills, uh, who's the father of Haley Mills, you know, from a lot of Disney films. Uh, Dorothy McGuire, James MacArthur, Tommy Kirk, who was in, like, every Disney film at that time, <laughs> um, and Kevin Corcoran as well. And there's actually, Ryan, a lot of references in other places in Adventureland to this film 
and to this character. And this is one of the little details I love pointing out to people over by uh, the, the exit of the Jungle Cruise. Yeah, there are so many. You have the director um, and you get the, the plant stuff. And there's just so many little details throughout. You have the rocks and the benches way down by the entrance to Adventureland that are to tie to the island theme of the the treehouse. There's a lot of just little details just spread in that first, you know, third of Adventureland. Absolutely. And if you're on the Jungle Cruise and you want to impress or bore or make your friends really think that you're a geek, when you come out of the Jungle Cruise, when you step off the boat onto the Paradox, uh, just as you walk through uh, sort of the... Um, the, the crate sort of getting you out off the dock. If you look over to the right, there is a small little group of boxes with ropes wrapped around them. And on those boxes are a number of names. You'll see Tommy Kirk Esquire. Again, Tommy Kirk was Ernst Robinson in the Swiss Family Robinson. He was also in The Shaggy Dog. He was an old yeller. Uh, the Misadventures of Merlin Jones. And actually, M. Jones cartographers make references to that character. Uh, Kenneth Anakin was the director of Swiss Family Robinson. The Weiss Supply Company is obviously the author of the book, Johann Weiss, who wrote the book back in 1812. The Colony of New Guinea, uh, an island north of Australia, was the original destination of the Robinson family and their ship, the Swallow. And if you look, it also says the Isle of Borodano. And this is one of the ones that's kind of go with me because it's a reference to Fritz Robinson, who was played by James MacArthur. James MacArthur starred in some other Disney movies as well, like The Third Man on the Mountain. Uh, but he also played Danny Williams on Hawaii Five-O, not the new Hawaii Five-O with, with <laughs> Jimmy Kahn's kid, but the old original Hawaii Five-O that had him saying, uh, you know, Steve McGarrett, uh, who was played by Jack Lord, used to always say, book him, Dano. So the Isle of Borodano is the reference to that reference in the old Hawaii Five-O. Obviously, Ryan, why I never dated very much in high school. I'm just glad you said it and not me because, it's, because you know, I still have some leeway there. Okay, no, I don't. Um, but and there are people who believe, you know, Jungle Cruise is so filled with so many nuances and so many little details. And, and these ones to the Swiss Family Robinson, people think maybe out of sorts or maybe out of, out of place. But if you think about it, it's the treehouse is really overlooking the entire Jungle Cruise. And so they're perfectly fit to be part of that wreck and be part of that, that continuing storyline. Yeah, the, the Adventureland is one of the great examples in the Magic Kingdom of everything tying in together. And, you know, I always sort of talk to people about the sight lines and what you see from different vantage points. And yes, you can see so much, including Tomorrowland and the castle, from uh, <laughs> the top of the Swiss Family Treehouse, but it very much ties into that overriding storyline of Adventureland as well. So it, it makes perfect sense having these references elsewhere throughout that land. Yeah, and they did such a wonderful job with Adventureland and, and the, the transition from this, you know, lost island towards the Caribbean. It's, it's, it's very seamless in the way they do it, even into Frontierland where you can see the water buffalo from the Enchanted Tiki Room and it fits because it's a Western steer kind of thing. It, it, it's one of those great places that just ties it all together in a nice package. Yeah, you know, when we talk about the creation of the Disney parks, Walt Disney World, obviously inspired by what Walt had done in Disneyland, you know, Fantasyland is what comes to mind when Walt sort of had the idea of taking these classic stories and putting them on uh, a 3D stage and letting guests be immersed in it. Well, the Swiss Family Treehouse had come out in 1960, just two years later, he brings the Swiss Family Treehouse to Adventureland 
in Disneyland. So now he's able to also do it not only with the classic animated films, but with the live action films as well. And again, like we said, it just sort of it's a very sort of easy sort of thing to put in there and let get guests be a part of something that they saw on live action just a couple of years earlier. Right. And this was really one of those the first times they, they take that extension out of Fantasyland because the Swiss family, family family Robinson doesn't really belong in Fantasyland, but it's perfect for for Adventureland. And then you get over in Tomorrowland, you start seeing some of the, the space stuff from the Disneyland television show. And it starts to spread out and it all becomes one piece of another piece. Yeah. And obviously it's added to Walt Disney World when it opens in 1971. You know, but it's, it's such a, a simple low-tech attraction and decades earlier the film comes out but it goes into Disneyland Paris in 1992 and Tokyo Disneyland in 1993 so is it do you think it's the connection to sort of that castaway type of story uh, that makes it still something that was fun and sort of necessitated it almost being in all the other parks that opened up afterwards I think so. I think you know it's one. It's the classic story for Adventureland until you get Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, years later, it, and that feel of Adventureland always. You know, the entrances always had that island tropical feel to it. And the first thing you think of in those films would be Swiss Family Robinson. So it it kind of made it the marquee, the weenie, if you will, for each Adventureland. Absolutely, it's that thing that sort of draws you in. And you know, Adventureland has changed a little bit. Obviously, has grown. Uh, in Walt Disney World over the past 40 years, and, and I mean that literally as far as the foliage has grown and it's got much more lush and darker and greener. And it used to be before they changed the bridge to the flat bridge, as you sort of had to go up and over and sort of cross over that portal into Adventureland, being able to see that tree off in the distance was definitely sort of that visual draw, wondering what it was up there. And then having the opportunity to actually go up into it uh, made it all the better. And again, we, we talk about this being a, a simple attraction, not, not a very high-tech attraction, although there are some neat, real working details in there. But it, it, it it's a huge attraction when you think about it. It's 90 feet in diameter. There's got nine huge limbs off of it, 116 steps, 1,400 branches, and more than 300,000 lifelike polyethylene leaves. And obviously, it's not a real tree. It's made up of steel and concrete and stucco, and it's about 60 feet tall. So in terms of, of scope and size, again, that visual weenie, uh, it very closely resembles the tree in the movie and also is sort of an imposing structure in, in Adventureland as well. Absolutely. And they, they did a very clever thing in they changed the type of tree they were using in Disneyland and based it upon a banyan tree in Florida, which is a common tree in Florida. It has these great thick roots that bury some, themselves deep into the ground. So they're able to put in steel supports 42 feet into the ground and, and hide it with these these great root and trunks pieces. So they did a great job of putting it together. And then they, of course, had to give it a Disney name. Yeah, so they, they give this sort of fake Latin name to all their Disney trees. Uh, and, and this one's known as a Disneyodendron Eximus, which means... Loosely. Out of the ordinary Disney tree. And it very much is so. And, you know, that's the thing. They make it look so real. I mean, it looks as though it belongs there, but everything on it is fake. Everything on it is manufactured except for one thing, and it's the Spanish moss that they drape over the leaves and the branches. Which is, if you've ever lived in Florida, you know everywhere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
and, and the great thing about this is if you look at pictures, and this is one of those changes that happened, you know, in, in coincidentally, that the uh, the tree itself was a huge, you know, weenie for Adventureland when they first opened. You could see it very clearly from where the park opened or from Adventureland opened. But now with all the trees that have grown up over the years, it's kind of hidden a little bit more. Yeah, that, and that's what I mean sort of about – how it's grown up, you know, Bill Evans, who was the landscape designer for Disneyland, especially Adventureland there, had uh, that same type of problem when he came to Florida, which is how do I make this Adventureland in this murky, disgusting swamp area look <laughs> as though it is lush and dense and green with a lot of exotic plants? And he did a lot of creative things in order to do that. But now, 40 years later, and again, if you look at pictures throughout the Magic Kingdom, uh, as we'll talk about as we sort of go through this series, it has sort of grown into itself. And one of my favorite places to go and walk is just as you pass over the bridge coming from the hub into Adventureland, if you look over to the left where the Crystal Palace starts to fade away, that, that last little remnant of civilization fades away, and the canopy has really sort of filled in, and it's very sort of dark over that river there. It's a really neat place to stand and see that visual transition really taking place. Yeah, and it's one of those great places. The, the Crystal Palace is that, in a structural form, the transition from Main Street to the, the Victorian colonial you know, adventure-type spirit. But it is. You can start to see you know, elephant ear-type fromms and you know, more of the palms, more of the bamboo, and it all starts to kind of mingle in right in that area. Yeah, and the nice thing that Disney does too, obviously the tree looks as though it fits. It looks as though it's just this fun sort of Adventureland treehouse. But for people that maybe aren't familiar with the story, they set the stage for you very succinctly as to what you're doing because there's a sign outside uh, right along the pathway, right before you get in. Uh, under the, the family crest, and it says, on this site, July 17th, 1805, obviously setting the time and the place which fits in with Adventureland, the Swiss family Robinson, composed of myself, my good wife, and three sons, Fritz, Ernst, and little Francis, were the sole survivors by the grace of God of the ill-fated ship Swallow. From this wreckage, we built our home in this tree for protection on this uncharted shore, signed Franz. That coupled with that wood planked walkway that those rock benches even the cannons and the cannonballs that are hidden sort of in the brush right there is definitely setting that stage for you that yes they are they've built this place to live but also protect themselves from whatever they may encounter on this you know on this uncharted island and they use and, and according to the story they used all the pieces from the ship and from what they could find on the island to build up this place. And they put it high up in the trees, if you remember the movie, to keep them away from predators like tigers that are roaming around. And in the end, the pirates that come around. And so it has this whole great feel of it. And it's all raised up. And they had the bridges uh, it, to put it into its proper place. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the detail that you need to slow down and appreciate as you're going through, even before you get onto the tree itself. So notice that everything that you are seeing, everything that you're walking on and walking through has been salvaged from the ship or taken from the island itself. So even the planked walkway is part of the ship's deck and they're using that as handrails and there's oars that line the path, even the rope, everything else, uh, all is 
taken from the ship, which seemed to survive very, very well, especially as we started getting upstairs, some of the things that survived. Um, but sort of imagine that. Imagine taking those things, even by those benches that you talked about by Aloha Isle, you can find pieces of the ship, you can find wheels and windows and, and planks uh, and boards taken from the ship and it, throughout the entire tree as well. And it's one of those things that you don't get to use very often, but you can even see it in the the little queue they have. You know, oftentimes this is a walk-on. You can walk straight into the tree. But I, I know I can remember when I was a kid having to wait for, to walk through, and they have these great boards that are all cut at different lengths that you see. You have railing from the ship, and the really they had some ceiling fans to keep you cool. But you it, you were watching the treehouse as you were getting ready to walk into it, and it just you know wet that palette of okay, this is this is something that that survived a wreck. Yeah, and, uh, and they were very fortunate and obviously very creative because they were able to make a real home out of this. It's not just sort of a, a one room, you know, sleeping on the dirt. They've got a kitchen, they have a library, they have individual bedrooms, and a lot of things either survived or they were able to build. So you'll find furniture and a lot of their silverware and even lamps and mirrors, like I said, sort of survived the crash, uh, made this sort of tree into their home, even the organ, uh, even a real working organ happened to survive and they were able to get it up into uh, the rafters. And this actually plays one of my favorite pieces of music in all of Walt Disney World. It's the Swiss Polka, written by Disney composer Buddy Baker. And it's amazing that there's nobody in the room, but the organ is still playing and, and it, it broadcasts out to that whole area in Adventureland. You can really hear it. Uh, and then they had the other elements, you know, the great parts where they, they took from the island, where the bamboo that carries up the water up that, you know, pulley system, which I always wanted to just grab onto and see if it would carry me up with it, um, you know, miss some of those steps. And yeah, and then each ki each person's room, they had their own identity. And you could see that in what survived in the hammock bunk beds and all those pieces. Yeah, and again, this sort of the story was driven from the author's personal desire to not only in, have fun with his family, but to educate them as well. So while each room has its own personality and its own details, obviously, you know, things in the kitchen you'll find in the library. If you look in the room uh, where the, the sort of the library is, you'll find two books on the table. You're going to find a Bible. And you're going to find a dictionary. So it was. it's sort of, I think, showing that it was important for him to continue to educate his kids and keep both th their bodies going as, as well as their minds and their soul. Absolutely. It was that whole, it was bringing everything together. It was, you know, the, the family, the faith, the, you know, and the, at the same time, the self-reliance and being able to take care of your, take care of yourself and your family. Yeah, and again, as you go through uh, each of the individual rooms, there are also plaques explaining to you what you see there. So it explains what's going on in the kitchen and why that was important to the family, uh, the crow's nest. And if you look inside, and don't just sort of walk through, but try and slow down. Again, the attraction is usually not very, very busy. Try and pick out some of the little details. You know, the, the, the boys are young boys, but they've been turned into men very quickly because they've had to learn to defend themselves and defend their families. So you'll find rifles in some of the rooms. Uh, you know, I think mom and dad probably need a break every now and then. You might <laughs> find a little brandy up in the rafters that, again, they keep out of sight and out of reach of the kids as well. 
Absolutely. And, and the walkways, you know, they may seem a little narrow, but there is plenty of room to let someone go by you as you really take the time to explore. You know, you'll see stacks of candles. You'll see artwork of the, the swallow, the ship, you know, the painting on the wall. You know, the captain's wheel is here and there. Uh, there's, there's Every room has something to offer to, if you take the time to really look. And I think the the journey itself affords you some great opportunities, you know, depending on where you are and where you look. So there are sections of the tree house that if you look down again, you're going to see that lush, overgrown portion of the jungle and you forget. You can sort of suspend your disbelief for a little bit and forget that you are in Walt Disney World. You, you feel as though you're in a tree house in the jungle somewhere. On the other hand, if you look in other directions, you can get a great view of Adventureland, sort of from the top down, or from the opposite side, you can see the castle in the distance. You can see Tomorrowland in the distance. And I'll tell you, especially if you're a photographer, day and at night affords you different different photo opportunities as well. Yeah, and it's terrific. And they actually, you know, they hint to these areas with some of these signs that we were talking about, you know, the jungle lookout. This is obviously a spot to take a moment and look and see, you know, and it talks about new discovery, which could very well be their, their reference to Tomorrowland. Uh, and, and it does, you know, at nighttime, you get a, it's almost an eerie feel to be up in that tree because you can see so much going on around you, but it's, it's very quiet that high up. And I think that's what it is about this attraction. You know, this attraction is, it's a simple attraction. It's a simple pleasure. Uh, and it's one of those things that is not meant to be run through. It's meant to be sort of savored and explored and enjoy the simple things like the view and you know, looking for different things, maybe with your family or uh, with your kid. And I think that's why maybe it was placed in all the Disney parks, not because it was, quote unquote, easy, relatively speaking, to build, probably a lot less expensive than building a high-tech attraction, but it's it's a charming attraction. It's a classic attraction, and classic in the sense of classic film, classic, simple, enjoy it with your family kind of thing, but classic in the sense that it also retains that attention to detail uh, that Disney does so very well and that, that those layers of the onion and the layers of the story. Yeah, and there is there's so much there's so much story, there's so much charm to this attraction. You know, it's one of those things that that's the word, it's charming. You know, it ties into the ship with the crow's nest. It ties into how they survived. It gives you specific dates. It's that it's that eye for for the little things that are gonna make this last with you so much longer. You know, I've been known to on occasion it for it to be my first attraction, I will walk into the park, head through Adventureland, and make a sudden left into the tree, and there'll be no one else in the tree, and that's fine with me. It's, it's probably one of those reasons I didn't date much, um, <laughs> but it's such it's such a wonderful attraction. And and if you're one of those people who do make that turn, but you know at an odd time at first thing in the morning, chances are you're going to get people to follow you, and you and you can share that that joy and the the story that's being presented. Yeah, and you know we we said at the outset. You know, we talked about sort of changes over 40 years, and, and most attractions have gone through some type of change, especially those opening day attractions. And for the most part, Ryan, this this really has not changed very, I mean, in really sort of any recognizable way at all. And I think that's maybe a testament to the fact that it, it doesn't need to be changed, uh, and you can't really change it. There's, I mean, look, one thing it does not have, it's one of the few attractions that is does not have any accessibility. So if you are not ambulatory or you're not able to walk up and down the stairs, there is no way to experience the attraction by going through it. Uh, that's something that would really be 
impossible to change. But otherwise, the attraction itself, save for a few details here and there, uh, you know, for the most part, the, the casual guests would never really notice. The attraction's exactly the same in 2011 as it was in 1971. Absolutely. And, you know, aside from, like we said, a fresh coat of paint here and there, you know, cleaning up some of the artifacts now and then, there's not much you can do with this with this type of an attraction. It's a walkthrough. It's meant to almost capture that uh, moment in time. Like they, they froze the treehouse and you're getting a chance to walk through from the clothes on the floor to the dinner that's being made by mom. Right. And, you know, as we talk about these, some of these attractions that were opening day and, and what the future might hold and how they might be able to change. I don't think that there's very much that can be done. And certainly I want to put out to the listeners, you know, their experiences with the Swiss family treehouse. Is it something that they go to? Have they ever done it before? If not, why? Uh, and is it something that they go to every time or that maybe their kids enjoy going to see? Do you think that it could change? If so, how might that be? I don't know that it can or it should. No, I think it's one of those things. I know Disneyland, you know, they lost theirs to become Tarzan's Treehouse, and that's a wonderful attraction in and of itself. But for my taste, I really want to keep the Swiss Family Treehouse, and I like the way it's, it is. And, you know, aside from those little touches here and there, it's one of those attractions I will take my children to. You know, I love when I get to take other people's children to because that wonder, that look of awe as they're like running through this giant treehouse is just extraordinary. Right. Look, I, I understand Disneyland's reasoning uh, back in 1999 to rename it Tarzan's Treehouse, retheme it, make it more relevant for a younger generation, because maybe a lot of people have not seen the Swiss Family Robinson movie. And so that's a question I want to ask you. Do you I mean, look, we're, we're Disney fans, so our answer is going to be yes, you should go and see it. I've shown it to my kids who are five and seven and they really enjoyed it. I have it on DVD. Do you think it's an attraction that is appreciated better by having watched the film or being familiar with the film first? Or do you think that you are able to pull enough out of it without having to uh, see the film before you experience the attraction? I think it's one of those reciprocal situations. You know, it's, it'd be great if you had seen the film. It would add to your experience of it. I also think it's one of those things where you can pull enough of the story, especially with these plaques all along the way and with the, you know, the, the opening statement plaque that tells you what you're walking into, that... It, you may love it so much that it would drive you to go find the movie to watch. So I think it works, you know, both ways with this one. And that's how I did it. I took my kids on and as we were walking through and stopping in all the, the rooms and explaining to them what they were seeing, I wanted, I took that opportunity to make them get excited. You know, this actually came from a movie and this family was shipwrecked on it and they got excited about wanting to see it. So I came home and I was able to find the film and then they were excited about wanting to watch that DVD. So I think you're right that that is a sort of reciprocal element there. Um, and I'm curious to see how many people, you know, may have that DVD or may have seen that DVD. Or now that we have kids, sort of our generation having kids, is it something that they want their kids to see and, and think holds up to today? You know, like a Treasure Island or a Swiss Family Robinson. Right. And, and it, it will bear watching to see, you know, Tarzan's been out for quite a number of years now. It's not as common as it was, you know, 10, a decade ago. And so it's, it's going to you know, be interesting to watch, you know, which people more identify with as we go forward. And so I will say that there is one sort of kind of change, and it's not really about the treehouse itself. But one of my favorite bits of trivia that I used to like to give people is as we were walking by or walking through the treehouse, if you look on the flagpole outside the queue, 
it flies the Swiss flag. And at one time, it actually bore the distinction of being the only non-American flag flown outside a Walt Disney World attraction each and every day. And that changed a number of years ago, not because they took that flag away, but because they added another flag, coincidentally, right down the street during a refurb of the Jungle Cruise. If you notice, and you sort of have to see it as you're coming off your boat and stepping up onto the dock, if you look over the covered uh, area of the queue where you step onto the boat, they now fly a Union Jack flag out there, albeit a little bit beat up. But there's a Union Jack flag out there flying every day. So another bit of trivia written in the book that is now out of date. Yeah, I actually was with someone a couple of years ago and they were trying to explain to me that it's the Swiss flag is is the only flag flown. And I'm like, I'm like, walk with me, walk with me. We're going to come watch. I think it is, it's, <laughs> and it's very weather beaten. I mean, it's 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 hanging there kind of limp. It's not going to go very far. But there are. Yeah. Now eventually in sports two international flags. There you go. So, uh, you know, I think this was an interesting look at one of those attractions that, again, maybe I'm sure you and I, you know, we like to go every so often, but it's not an everyday attraction. And maybe it's one of the ones that you're trying to get through your list and you've got only a few days in the parks. It's one of the ones that you might bypass so you can get on the Jungle Cruise or Pirates or Big Thunder or Splash or something that's a, that's a little bit, you know, got a little bit more juice to it. But I think it is one of those things that you can and you should go through and enjoy and savor. And again, I would love to hear from listeners their feelings about the Swiss Family Treehouse, if they go, how often they go, and maybe what their kids think about it as well. Yeah, I think it's great. It's one of those things. Yeah, it, it was never the e-ticket attraction. Even when it opened, it was a C-ticket. But it it has so much character to it that I, it's one of those things that I could never see not being there. And I really hope people take time to enjoy Absolutely. And check out the film as well. You can get it on DVD. So definitely check out the uh, 1960 Swiss Family Robinson film. Also, be sure and check out Ryan's Main Street Gazette blog. It's mainstgazette.com. You, my friend, pump out incredible content at, at a sick pace. How often and how good you put stuff out. So you should definitely go and check out Ryan's content there. He is also a contributor to Celebrations Magazine as well. We are so honored to have you be a part of that. And look, I appreciate you coming on, taking this trip sort of back in time and maybe a little bit forward in time. And uh, we're going to continue on our journey around the Magic Kingdom as we look at some of the other opening day attractions. Sounds like a plan to me. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. Please come by the website at wdwradio.com. There you can comment on this week's show. Click on the podcast and show number 233. Leave your comments there. You can also call the voicemail toll-free anytime at 888-703-2171 or email me at lou at wdwradio.com. On the website, find out how you can get the magic of Walt Disney World anytime, anywhere with my audio tours of the Magic Kingdom on CD or download trivia books, iPhone apps, including the new Disney World trivia app. There's also every episode of the show, so if you're a new listener, you can go back and check out past episodes. We have daily blog posts, new contests, photo galleries, and videos. Got a bunch of new ones coming out over the next few weeks. Be sure and also check out our weekly live video broadcast and chat every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. 
at www.newscast.com. And if you can't make it live to talk about the news, you can watch it on YouTube or on the blog. You can also catch the audio only in the WDW Radio iTunes feed. I also encourage you to come by and join the community. You can meet other Disney fans on our discussion forums. You can also meet them in person at our Meets of the Month in Walt Disney World and at other events like the WDW Radio Cruise on the Disney Dream in November 2012. And in just a couple of weeks, over at the D23 Expo, you can come by our booth if you're going to be there in attendance. Or if not, you can come by, watch, and chat during our full live coverage from the Expo floor all three days over at D23ExpoLive.com. Also, be sure and follow me over on Twitter. I am at Lou Mangiello. And join the WW Radio Facebook page. It's Facebook.com slash WDW Radio. If you like your Disney magic in print format, Come by to CelebrationsPress.com. There you can subscribe or order back issues of Celebrations Magazine. Stay tuned for some exciting news we have planned coming for the magazine, coming very, very soon. Also, check out LouMangelo.com for more about me, some of the other things I'm involved in, including private tours of Walt Disney World, speaking opportunities, and lots more. Quick thanks to our partners and sponsors, including MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. They are my official and recommended travel provider. Look, whether you're going to Disney World, Disneyland, and Adventures by Disney, Disney Cruise Line, whatever it might be, Becky and her team of agents gives you the best possible prices, all available discounts, most importantly, the amazing level of personal service that not only is their hallmark, but it is free to you. So be sure and check them out over at mousefantravel.com. If you're heading to Walt Disney World, maybe you want a house with your own pool and spa and game room and multiple master bedrooms. Bring the whole family down because allstarvacationhomes.com has everything from two-bedroom condos up to seven-bedroom homes within just a couple of miles of Walt Disney World. And maybe if you want to stay on property right in the heart of Walt Disney World, one of my favorite places to stay and eat, of course, is over at the Swan and Dolphin. I love the heavenly beds, the restaurants and the lounges, the Mandara Spa. You can check them out over at swananddolphin.com. As always, my friends, if you like the show, and I hope you do, all I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share it on Facebook or Google Plus, maybe. Also, please visit iTunes and rate and review the show and the apps there if you could. Got a lot of really exciting things that I'm working on for the show and the site. Lots of other stuff going on. Can't wait to share that with you. But in the meantime, don't forget that there's no time like right now to start pursuing your passion. So be positive, get motivated to follow your dream. And when you do, always keep moving forward. Of course, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not. Thank you again for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. So until next time, have a great week, everybody. See ya. Hey, Lou, this is uh, Randy the Barber calling you from way up here in uh, Newfoundland, Canada. Just wanted to call to say uh, thanks for a great job you do. It's awesome to be able to listen to all the Disney talk, you know, when you're working away. I run a, a small family business barbershop up here, and you're a bit of a local celebrity to all my clientele because as I'm working away doing my haircuts, I... Uh, get to sort of uh, listen to your podcast. So all of my clients are sort of on into it now. So we all want to say thanks from, uh, from up here in uh, Newfoundland, Canada. Anyway, have a great day. Thanks. <clears throat> Lou Mangiello, this is uh, Brian O'Flynn in Orangeville, Kentucky. Uh, Disney Frito in the chat rooms. Uh, this is my birthday today, July 24th, and I've been listening to many, many, many of your old podcasts 
And uh, I know there's a lot of new people listening all the time. A special feature in one of your podcasts, episode 100. Most people don't realize that there's actually words to your theme song. Everyone needs to listen to that theme song. Words and that entire show is just super. I just wanted to pass that along. I just happened to run across it, and I thought that is the best bonus on a podcast in history. Just thought I'd pass it along, keep going, have 500, 600, 700 shows. It will suit me just fine because it's been a super Lou Mangiello birthday today for me. So take it easy, buddy. Hey, this is Bailey. This is my first time to um, call the radio, and I thought it'd be pretty cool for the TV show. Hi. Hey, Lou. This is Anthony from Notley, New Jersey, otherwise known as NJ Boy NC State on the forums, and I'm currently calling in from Liberty Square in the Magic Kingdom, as today is my last day down here in Disney World. I'm flying home to New Jersey tonight, and just wanted to call and say hi and how I, how much I love your show. It gets me through a, a lot of days, especially back at college, through a lot, lot of late nights, 2, 3 in the morning. And uh, just wanted to call in and say hi, and that's all for now. I'll talk to you later. Hope I get to meet you down here on another trip sometime soon. Thanks. Bye. You've got a